The pursuit of happiness is a fundamental right guaranteed in the Constitution and defined in the Declaration of Independence to freely pursue joy and live life in a way that makes you happy, as long as you know how to use the laws to achieve what you want. This changes things a bit, doesn't it? This means that in order to do what makes you happy, you have to know some laws, and that's why I'm here. Welcome to Lovely, a show about law, love, and life. Live a happy life using the universal law of love at the heart of your decision-making. And of course, real laws too. I'm your host, Bahar Ansari, a hippie and happy lawyer turned IT founder turned, well, me, a consciously creative counselor. This show is built on one simple principle, that us as human beings do things for only two reasons, love, our ultimate self-fulfillment, or laws, natural and man-made. What transcends both is creativity. It's innovation. It's love empowered by laws. It's love. Be love, learn law, spread love. So welcome, Jacob. I'm so happy to have you. We've talked with each other before. You always have so many interesting stories to share, and I'm glad that you're my guest today. Thank you for having me. So Jacob, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like you're an immigration attorney and I sense a little bit of an accent. So I'm always bound to ask, like, where are you from and what brought you to immigration industry? I'm originally from Israel, right? So I came to the U.S. to do my LLM, which is a master's in law. And I plan to come here for two years to do my master's and then stay here for like a year to do the OPT, just to get experience. Things change. I really liked San Diego. I liked, I came straight to San Diego to do my LLM. You know, I just enjoyed staying in California. I like the culture here, the, the people I met, and I decided that I, I have to find a way to stay. As you know, the OPT is uh, only for a year, and I couldn't find anybody to sponsor me during that year. And I remember that, and I, I tell the story sometimes when I do these speaking things. I literally, I had maybe... 40 days left on my OPT and I was walking in the, in the school and there was a, like a sign there, the wanted board where people looking for jobs and internship. Suddenly I see this Hebrew translator needed for a law firm. Like what are the odds, right? 40 days before my OPT expired. So I, I called him like, I saw your ad in the law school and they're like, well, do you speak Hebrew and you read Hebrew? And I, yeah, I'm Israeli, of course. So it was a big trial between two heirs to, uh, to an inheritance one sibling was in San Diego and the other one was in Israel and they needed me to go through discovery. And so I helped them for like a weekend and I asked them at the end of the weekend, they pay me, you know, and I said, well, do you guys have any internships? And they said, yeah, of course, you did a good job. So, um, so I did my internship. I was there for like two weeks. Remember, I have, now I have 14 days left on my OPT. And I said, yeah, you guys do sponsorship for visas? And um, the head partner was, um, I mean, what does it mean? And I said, well, you know, I, I need a visa to stay here because I have to leave in two weeks. And he called his office manager and said, like, do whatever it takes to keep him here. And so um, they had an immigration uh, attorney uh, on staff. He wasn't doing H-1Bs. He was focusing on EB-5s only. But somehow he figured it out and he did my H-1B. And there was no cap back then. <laughs> and so got my H-1B visa. And I, and I worked for them for a little bit and they did my green card. And that's kind of, that was the beginning of my journey in the U.S. Now, the reason why I, I, I did immigration is because I learned immigration working at that firm a little bit. I, I worked with them for about a year and a half. And so that's how I got exposed to immigration. And, I, and I, you know, when I started my own firm, I said, well, you know, I know immigration. I like it. Why not? 
That's a super interesting story and a lot to unpack. Like one, it's you being an immigrant yourself. I'm also an immigrant from Iran. I moved here when I was 16. So I did high school, college and law school. But still, when you go through the system yourself, you have a completely different understanding and connection with your clients because you genuinely understand not just the legal process, but having gone through it, the language change, the adjustment, the stress, the questions. So that's super helpful. And the second part that I think is really interesting is that you actually took a shot and asked the question, asked to be sponsored. And that's the biggest lesson to a lot of immigrants because they may not know how to move here and they usually go the the more straightforward routes where there's a lot of information out there, whether it's family, asylum, or different types of processes. And there are a lot of work-related benefits that are available to people if they just try, if they're resourceful enough to ask. So that's so great that you have that. Do you use that story with your clients? Do you give yourself as an example? Yeah, of course. I do that all the time. In fact, especially where, you know, sometimes I do my videos and I mention the story, you know, that was an F1 I was an F1 student, obviously, to get my LM, right? And I think the biggest thing is that, you know, when you're on a visa, like an F1 or an H1, there's always the feeling of uncertainty. You never know. Will they extend it? Will I be able to stay? And I think the one thing that I learned in my first year in the U.S. is that in this country, if you don't take things in your own manner, if you don't take control of the situation, nothing is going to happen. You know, I came from Europe. I went to law school in England. I lived there for four years after I left Israel, right? And it's so different over there. In Europe, you have to follow like a formula. You have to go to school. You have to get uh, articles in a law firm. You know, it's, it's kind of like you go with the flow. It's like you're sitting in a, in a water tube and you, and, you, and, you, and you flow. In the U.S., it was different. And I realized right away, in the U.S., if you don't take control of things, if you don't be different, if, you don't, if you're not going to uh, stand for yourself, nothing's going to happen, right? And I tried this. I know I'm going to ask them to, for an internship, and it worked. I'm going to ask them to sponsor me, and it worked. You know, and I think it's the same thing when I did my law firm. I'm like, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start my law firm. And I'm going to go ahead and compete against the big guys and start doing things. And, you know, you try it and it works, right? That's so true about taking initiative in the U.S. system. I mean, I mean, this is the land of dreams, the American dreams, right? You, you have to have your own dream and then learn how to utilize the resources to get there. And, and nobody's going to care about your happiness or what you want in your life more than you. If if at all, besides you. So it's important to figure out and educate yourself, like, which brings us to our next point about self-education about all of this. I mean, you've built a firm and you've built a brand around sharing your knowledge and stories. So obviously you, you understand how important it is for, for people to know that these benefits exist and that it's possible, right? To inspire them right. to understand it's possible. How much do you think your personality and your empathy affects your day-to-day at work and your client handling? You know, from day one, when I started my firm, I I realized that if I'm going to do things like all the other attorneys are going to do, I'm going to be basically lagging behind all everybody. So if somebody's doing immigration for 20 years and I'm going to be doing the same thing they're doing, then I'm not going to be able to go ahead and try to compete with them because I'm going to have to wait the 20 years to get there. You know what I mean? So I realized it from day one. So I said, you know, what are they doing? that I can be doing differently. And, and, and back then, nobody was, nobody was blogging. 2004, when I started my firm, legal blogs were very, very unknown, essentially. So my biggest break was in blogging. I started blogging. And the Visa Lawyer blog, which I still have to this day, has a, very, you know, has a lot of traffic. But that was the beginning of kind of social media, if you think about it. Because I realized that if I blog, 
and, and, and the story I can tell you about blogging, which I also, also tell in my, when I speak to attorneys, I tell them that when I started my firm, I had nobody was calling me for like three months, right? Like I couldn't afford yellow pages. Everybody else, you know, like, were, you know, referrals, it takes time. So I, you know, I, was, I started blogging. In fact, I was sitting in a coffee shop, literally desperate because I didn't even have an office. And one of the guys next to me was on the phone talking to another guy, helping him build a blog. And, you know, San Diego has a lot of these entrepreneurs, social media. And, and I, when the other guy left, I said, what is a blog? And he's like, well, this is what it is. And he helped me build my first blog. And I just started writing. I had no clients anyway. Literally within a couple of months, I get a phone call from Fox News. And they're like, we want to talk to Jacob about this new law. And I thought they made a mistake. And I, and I answered my own phone, imagine. And how did you hear about Jacob? And they said, well, we're reading, we're reading his blog. And that was like the aha moment. Like, oh my God, this is crazy. And I started doing more of that and keywords and all that. I learned more about that. And I was getting more news, more media coming because there, nobody was writing, right? Back then, nobody was doing blogs. Well, that was the beginning. And then once blogs started to be saturated, I moved to my next platform, which, which was Facebook. So in 2013, I was lucky enough to meet this woman and she was a mentor. She was like an influencer on Facebook. And she kind of took me as a case study how attorneys can use it because nobody you know, really knew how to do it. And I learned from her a few things. And then I was the first attorney to be verified on Facebook. And I had access to Facebook Live before it became available to everybody. And I remember my first lives, I had like five, 6,000 people on. Can you imagine? It's crazy. And so I was using Facebook, obviously, and that was, uh, it was cool. And then other attorneys started using Facebook too. And then I, then I moved to Instagram, which was very difficult for anybody to crack because Facebook, you know, over time people got the idea and they started writing and using it and, you know, but Instagram for, for many years was very difficult for professionals to break too. Because if you, if you just post a picture and say, hire me and my law firm, you know, nobody cares. What I realized Instagram wanted was more visual content, but the captions should be somehow connected to you. And, and that's when I was kind of, bring, you mentioned personality. I was bringing my personality in Instagram. That was, that was kind of my big break because I, I, I was enjoying traveling very much. I still like it. And so I used my travel and my immigration work as a hybrid. And I think people like that. So every time I would go somewhere, I would post a picture, I would write a caption. That's how I was building my brand. And I'm telling you, within a few years, I had more business than some lawyers who were doing uh, this for 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? Just because of the power of media. Because if you have people calling you from everywhere, it becomes powerful. I think that's the beauty of immigration law, too. I mean, you mentioned that you like traveling. I like traveling and I really like associating with international people. I like to meet people from different cultures. So immigration really, really gives me that opportunity and social media gives me that reach to be able to show I exist versus you know a traditional immigration lawyer is sitting in their immigration office in America with a sign on their door. So, right. you know, what are the chances that an immigrant is just walking by? Isn't it a moot point once they get to you? So, so for me, it's really my global storefronts to, to reach people that I wouldn't have otherwise reached. And everything else that you mentioned is like a very positive byproduct of it. You obviously cracked it. So tell me what are some of the biggest shocks that your clients described from the American culture and some horror stories maybe through the process that they didn't know before they started? I had a case where there was a guy, he's from a European country, he's from France, right? He's an older guy and he's trying to move to the U.S. as a national interest waiver because he's, he had a, a bunch of businesses and he developed stuff. 
And when he came to the U.S. and he started his own business, he was used in France to be very vocal. He expressed his opinion, saying things about employees and all that. And I remember that he, he called me one day and he's like, oh my God, I've been sued. And we were literally at the last stages of the 485. And I was so worried that like, what happened? He said, well, this is what happened. It's an employment, uh, you know, and they're saying it's sexual harassment. They're saying overtime, all the stuff they wanted to include there. And, and it's just because in his culture, he's used to saying whatever he thinks because he's the boss. He didn't understand what was wrong, what he did. He didn't get it. You know what I mean? And I said, listen, you can't tell a girl that she's pretty every morning. And you, you know what I mean? Like you, you, it just doesn't work in this country. It's, it's, and, I, and I think that was a big example of somebody that really took it hard because he was building a good business. He was making money. He was contributing to the society. And then suddenly he gets this blow. That's just how it works in America. You've got to be careful, right? That's one example. And I had another example of somebody that is from Africa and he, would, he was really kind of almost depressed with the fact that people are not accepting how he's dressing. He felt like he said, listen, I, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be able to move along in this country unless I change the way I dress. And I said to him, well, what do you want to do really? Do you want to be able to be part of this society or you want to be? Uh, and so I said, you know, there has to be a way. There's a middle ground for everything. You know, I think what you're doing right now, you're trying to force your culture on the American society as opposed to trying to say, here's who I am. And I'm willing to also accept who you are. You know what I mean? So it's, it's things like that that we see all the time. I mean, I have tons of examples of culture, like clothing or what they say or at work, you know, it takes time, you know. I've had some examples similar to that of people who launch businesses here. And most cultures are very different in terms of what behaviors are allowed at work and really the work culture. And one of the things that I usually say along with, are you ready to be globally taxed on your income? You know, this is a U.S. tax system of the advice I give them is this, are you willing to adjust your culture and your behavior? Because it could be really expensive litigation. And the other example that I think it's really important that people are unaware of is that the U.S. immigration is a federal system, but the business system is state-based. So some of these decisions of where they're going to have offices and what rules apply, I feel like they're always talking amongst themselves, people who are interested in moving, and they don't have a proper understanding of why choosing a state for business purposes matters. Like they go based on the advice that everybody registers here or in this state, where as it's different, where they want to actually open an office. And we're in California, we have some of the strictest <laughs> employment and harassment rules. So that's, that's always an interesting one to inform people on of, of the trade-off of the weather is you really have to change yourself <laughs> and your personality if you want to save and protect your business. Of course. Another surprise that I usually get from my clients, I don't know if it's the same with yours, they're a little surprised of how long really the immigration process is and how archaic it is that we're still submitting cases through paper and want all of these yeah, translations and shipments. So have you had a similar experience where they're just shocked of, of the amount of work it takes? You know, a lot of clients that don't realize how much paperwork it is, how much forms. And, and, and I think the biggest, what they're worried about is the time that it takes for cases to go through. Like, so how long is it going to take for my H-1B? Well, it's going to take, you know, eight months or now with the backlogs. Most of them don't have kind of a grasp of reality when it comes to the process. So what I try to do, we try to kind of give them a, a realistic expectations before we start. Listen, it's going to take, you know, 10 years or it's going to take so-and-so. You, you know, you're from Mexico, it's going to take 
and, and I, I was in a webinar yesterday. They asked me, what is the future of immigration? And I said, it's, it's one thing, it's empathy. The attorneys are going to be there listening to their clients, calling them back on time, emailing them on time, explaining them the process before they start, taking the time to be there for them are going to be successful. That's, that's just the reality. Nobody's going to care if you are in LA in downtown or you're sitting in at home in Orange County. Nobody cares about anyone. What they care about is that, is he going to call me back? Did he explain the process to me? Is he there for me on text? on whatever, you know what I mean? So that's really the future. The future is like, are you listening to me? Are you there for me? Are you hand-holding me or not? If you're not, I don't care if you have 40 years experience and you are a certified specialist. I'm not going to go with you. And they, they don't get it. And that's why a lot of attorneys in our space suffered tremendously during the COVID crisis because they were not ready. They were not prepared for automation. They were not prepared to be of service to clients. They don't answer the calls. and there's no reason for it. I can tell you that this was the best year that I had in the past 10 years, financially and as far as cases. And this all happened in the past five months. Who expected this to be like that? Just because we adjusted, you know what I mean? And it's also being found, right? So if of course. we talked about this earlier, when you can't be found online, this is the problem. And this is why you're shining because everywhere you look, you're kind of there. And we talked about it during the first time we met on that. And I mentioned to people, the first thing I did in April is I built a Facebook group where I brought in, uh, now we have about 9,000 uh, immigrants in there. And I re the reason why I did that, I said, you know what, I'm gonna build my own community so I can talk to these people every day. Uh, and I did that, I was there every day. I'm, I'm, I'm less there now, but I was there every day for the first three months. And I gave them reassurance that they have solutions. And most people were there, like, you know, my, my attorney doesn't call me. I don't know what's going on. What's happening with the UCIS? When, when are they reopening? That's what I did. And the second thing I did, I was like, well, what other platforms are there that people are on right now? And TikTok was the biggest trend during the pandemic. And I'm like, well, why aren't there any attorneys on TikTok? That was, I'm telling you, March. And so I started doing TikToks in March. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, TikTok for me is one of my biggest platforms right now. I'm getting so many leads from there. It's unbelievable. Just because people are there and they, and they appreciate that I was there and I was first. And I continue to provide, I do videos on TikTok every single day, at least one video. I think customer service, like everything you're talking about yeah. is really customer service is really important. And like surgeons, yeah. attorneys haven't had to really develop that. Whereas as an immigration attorney, you're really a counselor, like your immigration client called you to tell you about his business and sexual harassment lawsuit. That just means that you, you build that kind of deep relationships with clients. That's really important during this life changing moment in their lives. And the second thing is like immigration, the actual application process is the smallest part of the immigration case. It's the preparation and then advising them what to do after. That's really the most valuable part of strategic advice that you do for clients. What are the best strategies for people who are preparing a new case, who are thinking about moving to the U.S.? Like what are your personal top tips that you give? If it's in a business case, then they should prepare all their financials, make sure they have all their taxes ready to prove how they're coming here. If it's based on work, credentials, make sure they're ready. If it's on family side, just kind of like learn like the area where they're moving before they come, maybe get information about schools. People who come prepared before they move are much more successful when to adapt. 
And news-wise, like some of these restrictions, some of these COVID restrictions are set to end by the end of the year. So some things should hopefully go back to normal. We have a new administration. We have COVID vaccines. We have DACA. Like pick your favorite and give me your opinion on, on some of these important stuff that are happening right now. So yeah, I think obviously the proclamations are going to end hopefully by the end of the month. I anticipate Biden to be undoing a lot of these executive orders in the first six, seven months. I think there's going to be less RFEs coming. I anticipate that. Or I already see them less coming now. So I think people should be more bullish about filing cases now. I think overall, the system will slowly get improved. It's going to take probably a year and a half for things to move forward. I mean, we have a new immigration director, DHS director, Mallorcas, and he's a really good, positive person. So there's a lot of opportunities for people to get their status, honestly. And I do believe that there's going to be a mini amnesty probably by the end of 2021. I do believe that. And people should get ready by getting their records, getting their FOIAs. And the reason I know it will happen is because if you look at what Biden is saying and how he's prepping for that, and again, it's going to be a very limited time. So it's not going to be like anybody who's here, you know, they're going to probably set rules and it's going to be maybe a 10-year process for them to eventually get green cards, but it's going to happen. I mean, I'm excited about it. I mean, it hasn't happened since 86, so. There's been already some good movement with DACA and Dreamers. I'm happy about that. As far as business, it's it hasn't been only immigration that's kind of made it rough for, for business owners. A lot of the benefits have gone away. But now with some of these limitations ending this year, I feel like it's the best time to start planning. Like I, like you, have had a good experience with cases, with decisions on like popular belief. It's actually going quite well. But I really think like as far as let's say for L1, O1, EB1, for extraordinary talent, for investment, for executive transfers, like these types of immigration benefits are always really lucrative under immigration policies. And they're not going to limit it as much as people think. And they have a really good shot. It's just about preparation. So with these policies ending, like I feel like it's a great time in the first quarter for people to start really actually planning their move. And that requires gathering documents, making plans, maybe registering companies. But I feel really, really positive about it. I feel really optimistic yeah. about the changes yeah. that are coming. Absolutely. I'm excited. I think it's a good time to be an immigration lawyer and an immigrant. And if you're both, it's even better. <laughs> it's even better. I mean, look at the country is built on the backs of a lot of immigrants yet, right? Mm. Last minute advice. What advice do you give to people who are not sure that America is the right choice for them? Canada has a lot of good options. UK, Australia has a lot of good options. America historically has always been number one the last four years. A lot of potential immigrants have been discouraged. What's your advice for them and what words of encouragement do you have on, on the future of immigration right. and in the U.S.? While there are obviously a lot of good countries like Australia and Canada, the reason the U.S. is always going to be the beacon and the number one country for immigration is just the way the system works here. It's a much more fluid and open system for any immigrant to shape their future the way they want. Even in Canada, it's still more difficult to build what is called the dream if you know what I mean. And so right now where we are coming out of this recession in a way, there's so many opportunities. Leases are cheap. People are looking for new opportunities to build things. And I can tell you that I have so many inquiries from immigrants who say, you know what, I, I feel like this is the time to come to the United States and build my future because I feel like I'm going to be able to make it. It's like a feeling of beginning, new beginning. And so the difference between the US and other countries is that here, while there are a lot of 
negative things, obviously, like in many other places. The fact that you have the freedom to create without limitation does not exist anywhere in the world. And that is the difference, I think, between the U.S. and any other country. The fact that there is no cap. You can look up in the sky and say, you know what? I can be the next Elon Musk. I can be the next Jeff Bezos or whatever. There's no reason why you couldn't. It just happens every day, right? And it doesn't happen anywhere else but here. What I say to my clients is that U.S. is literally the only constitution. I think one of the only constitutions that mentions the word happiness and the pursuit of happiness, which is essentially going after your dream. And literally, under this clause is where all of these changes and opportunities for minorities and any diverse groups are coming from. And the financial system is built in a way to support you to build your dreams, like whether it's availability of student loans, all sorts of job opportunities, investment opportunities, and now really low interest loans. It's built for you to be a go-getter and build. And it brings us back to our first point when we started. You just have to take initiative to accomplish your own dream. Just know what you want so you know the right people to ask. And if going to the U.S. is one of those, like make sure you find a really good empathetic lawyer because during this process and everything that's happening now, it's really important to have these connections with your attorneys. Okay, thank you, Jacob, for being here. I always enjoy talking to you. I hope I can have you here soon again when we start getting some really good immigration policies. Or maybe we can start volunteering to create some good new immigration yeah. policies together. Spreading the good through our you know, different media outlets, right? I agree. Okay. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your opinion. I always appreciate your advice. I'm an attorney myself, but I always follow you because I find your content super helpful and honestly interesting. It's hard to make immigration content interesting. So congratulations on your success and kudos to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And with that, my lovely friends, I will leave you with some advice. Dream big, be brave, and be happy. I'm already proud of you. Thanks for listening to Lovely with me, your host, Bahar Ansari. If you like this show, please subscribe and share with your friends, colleagues, and family. And please leave a review on iTunes. If you miss me before then, check out baharansari.com or connect with me on social media. Join us next week when we talk more about laws, love, and life. See you soon.